0: Hey, this is Rob, and that's Micaiah, and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, Chuck Berry's Great 28. Chuck Berry's Great 28, the collection of some of his very best from his first 10 years on chess records, Music recorded from 1955 to 1965. This collection of music features all 11 of his singles that were top 10 Billboard hits, his 10 other singles that were top 40 Billboard hits, six B-sides among those 21 singles, and one track from Chuck Berry in London. Other than that basic information, what do we need to know about Chuck Berry and the Great 28?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, Chuck Berry, in the minds of myself and plenty of other people, you know, he's the actual king of rock and roll, not Elvis. All right. And there are a lot of parallels between him and Elvis. Um, They both arrive on the scene at the same time. Elvis is a white guy from Tupelo, Mississippi, who's now in Memphis recording his son, who is a white guy singing like blues and R&B songs. And people who hear him on the radio don't know if he's black or white. And Chuck Berry, who is from Missouri, um, goes out to Chicago and meets the Chess Brothers, who are recording people like Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters, the greatest of, you know, electric blues. And so Chuck Berry, who is a blues a blues musician, also has a great fascination for, for, country western music and western swing. And and so when he goes in as a black man, he's um, at first his first single he he goes in to record um a blues number called Wee Wee Hours. And then he records another song, uh, that becomes Maybelline. So Wee Wee Hours, if you can't tell by the title, is more of a a slow blues number. And Maybelline is more of what would have been called then a hillbilly song. Literally, like a fiddle song in in a country, like in a Western swing style. And Maybelline is, in my mind, kind of the first truly great rock and roll single. There, There have been others. He's not the first to do it but I think that's the first one that is, you know, immediately goes to, like, icon status.
2: Maybelline, why can't you be true? Oh, Maybelline, why can't you be true? You done started doing the things you used to do. As I was motivating over the hill, I saw Maybelline in a like a Cadillac rolling on a be true. Why can't you back doing the thing you used to
1: Um so yeah so that that's that's a little bit about Chuck Berry. This compilation in particular The Great 28 that's kind of the conversation we're gonna have in future episodes like about compilations. So these songs a lot of them were recorded in recent like around like 1955 a lot of them in like 1956. But his first LP didn't come out until 1957. And even on that LP, he doesn't have like his first big single Maybelline. That doesn't come for a few couple LPs later, right? So the, the idea of the LP as being a work of art is still about 10 years behind for like rock music. Um, So even his first few albums are kind of just a collection of singles and their B sides um, Kind of, it, it looks chosen at random to me. Why don't you put Maybelline on the first LP? I don't know. Maybe the single's already selling so well they don't have to and they want to promote other singles using the LP because that's just kind of what rock music was. So choosing a Chuck Berry album like Chuck Berry is on top, Dozen Berries, After School Sessions, that, that, that 50s run, picking one of those wouldn't really do him justice, but we still wanted to pick a Chuck Berry album. And one that is on the Rolling Stone list that has been since the 2003 at number 21 was The Great 28. And since the 2020 list, it's now 51, but it has also uh, since topped the Elvis Sun Sessions compilation. All right. But the other thing about this particular compilation is that it is an LP box. It's a double LP. All right. So it's not like... We, we like why why do this instead of just like the chess box set, which is pretty much all of the singles and all their B sides, or you know choose something like, you know another one of the great big more expansive box sets. But there's something about the Great Twenty-Eight that's great because it is from the LP era. It was released in 1982. It is seven songs on each side. You know it it, it seems like there is carefully thought out. You know I I believe that the the way that the songs appear on the record is is the order in which they were recorded and released so there there's a lot of uh, there's, there's a great structure to this you know it's not just a greatest hits you know it's very carefully curated um so i think that's what kind of makes it stand out among other great compilations um so yeah so that, i think that's why not that anyone's going to come at us and try to make us defend why we have Dare Have Chuck Berry on our list of great albums, but that's why this compilation in particular uh, stands out and is exceptional. And in my mind, I don't want to put words in, in your mouth, Rob.
0: I think for me, Chuck Berry is just, I, I was talking, interestingly enough, I was talking to my 10 year old daughter about this tonight. She asked what episode we were recording and told her, you know, Chuck Berry's Great 28. And she said, well, who's Chuck Berry? And I said, well, he's the guy who wrote. And then I started naming off all these songs. And she's immediately recognizing like, oh, I didn't know who that was, but I know that song. And that was my experience. I'm 40. And so, you know, 30 years ago, that was my same experience. I was a 10-year-old kid. I couldn't have told you who Chuck Berry was, but I knew Johnny B. Good. You know, I knew rollover Beethoven. I knew rock and roll music and school days and sweet little 16 and reeling and rocking. And you know this music. And you know this music because it it is. It's that 45 era, it's a singles era. It's the era in which this is jukebox music and jukebox music. And so if you grew up anytime, or any place where there was a jukebox, or if you were, if there was a diner you went to that had a jukebox there, like you have heard a lot of these songs. And that's the thing about Chuck Berry is that it's the music that you all instinctively know. And then even if you don't realize how much you know it, if you like the Beatles, or if you like the Rolling Stones, or if you like the Beach Boys, or if, you know, if you like, rock music in general, especially rock music in the 60s and 70s, you really, whether you like it or not, you like Chuck Berry because you are hearing the influence of Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry is really the inventor of what we can think of as rock guitar playing. He is among a small handful of artists that essentially uh, created the foundations for a genre that would define then really the next 30 years of music and and Chuck Berry plays a huge role in that with songs that are still, uh, and still enjoyable today that haven't aged a bit. And so for me, I, I, that's, that's why I think Chuck Berry is, is an artist that came to mind. And then I'm with you. So, you know, for an artist like Chuck Berry, for an artist in the 45 era, you're going to be looking at a compilation and then once you start looking at a compilation you know there's there's chuck berry's greatest hits there's you know there's five or six different greatest hits albums there's chuck berry's gold like you know like you said there's the chess box set but the great 28 it really attempts to do something well which is we're going to take his biggest hits we're going to take the the kind of secondary hits we're going to give you six b-sides that are um, in at least in Chess Records minds among the best of the B-sides on those recordings and then we're going to give you one kind of throw-in picture of Chuck Berry in London and look the reality is I want to be your driver the only song in there from Chuck Berry in London Chuck Berry in London is a, is not a bad album but that was not the right song to pick for this representation and there's, and there's a few like that. There's, there's a few in here where the B side that's included all of the songs in here that you're going to be uh, disappointed with all are B sides. And so uh, little Queenie is, is a B side and you know, rightfully so you're kind of going, huh, I, I don't, I don't know that I, I needed that in there. Interestingly enough, little Queenie is the B side to almost grown, so it, there's there's both an A and a B side there that you can kind of go, eh, I could do without. But that also then gives us an opportunity for the sake of this podcast to talk not just about an album we love, but an album we love that does have some glaring emissions. And so for Makai and I, we get to talk about an album we love, we get to talk about an artist we love, and we get to talk about how the people who put the album together still didn't get it perfect. And so... If, if Do you mean to say they forgot one? They 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 forgot more than one. There's, That's there's true. There's a huge one that they forgot, and we're going to share with that in the outro, I'm sure. But before we get into that, let's jump in to our conversation with our guest. Micaiah, tell us a little bit about our guest for this episode. And this is a guest who is not an obvious guest for this episode, but he wrote... Very eloquently about Chuck Berry and about this album in particular, in a way that both was meaningful to you and I.
1: Yeah. So for our listeners who listen to the Radiohead episode, you know we had Brad effort on, who put together the RS five hundred project, where he invited dozens of people to write about uh, albums that are on that uh, twenty twelve list, and so. You know, not having a Chuck Berry guest and going over the RS five hundred again. I was reading the Great Twenty Eight entry and found a lot of it very interesting. Uh, it opens with a thesis that I just happen to believe about dethroning Elvis and putting Chuck Berry as the king. Uh, that's not his language; that that's mine. But that that's the sentiment. So, and and he wrote um quite a lot actually. Uh, he wrote about a lot of records for the project, and and his name is William Pritchard. He is a professor of English literature out in Portland. And so, yeah, I thought that he would be a great guy with with a great perspective about uh, someone who's coming from the literature world um, to talk about, you know, Chuck Berry as not just a a guitarist, but
0: as a songwriter uh, in the early days of rock and roll music. So we're going to take a moment. We're going to tell you a little bit about our favorite record store in Portland, Oregon. We're gonna let you hear from today's sponsor, Anchor, and then we're gonna get you right to our interview with William Pritchard.
3: Thank you for the invitation, and um, this is the first time I've ever been on a podcast, so it's it's a thrill. It's overdue, I feel. <laughs> um, I uh, am an English professor at Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, where I've been for about eighteen years now, um, and um, you know, my my professional specialization is eighteenth-century literature, um, but my I guess private <laughs> passion is uh, music and records and uh recordings particularly from the sort of i guess post-war post-world war ii till about 1986 when i graduated from college and stopped keeping up with new music mm-hmm. um so um and you know i've I, i've done some writing or scholar you know pseudo scholarly or proto semi-scholarly work um on music and popular culture and and um i gave a talk almost 20 years ago about on chuck berry um and then converted that into the essay you mentioned that appeared on a on a website called the rs 500 of essays and or sort of written responses to the 500 lps that rolling stone deemed the most important um so i wrote a few of those and and the chuck berry one which i guess is why i'm here today
0: yeah you propose that more credit should be given to chuck berry for the creation of rock and roll in instead of elvis and what's interesting is since then the great 28, the album that we're talking about tonight has actually dropped in the Rolling Stone 500 from number 21 to 51, and Elvis' Sun Sessions has gone from 11 to 78. And so for, for our listeners who essentially, when we think about Elvis Presley, and we think about Chuck Berry, for most of our listeners, we're just talking about two old, long deceased artists. What is it about Chuck Berry? What is the argument for why Chuck Berry should be rightfully crowned the king of rock music?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, he's not that long deceased, actually. He only died a couple Five years, of years ago. ago. That which is which was part of my astonishment. I think so, first of all, I should say when I when I first wrote that talk, it was 20 years ago and it was kind of a different cultural situation, I think, relative to Chuck Berry. It seemed to me at the time that that he was underappreciated and he was very much alive at the time and still performing and um you know and in a way it seemed kind of amazing to me the idea that that this person could still be walking the earth or duck walking the earth um <laughs> and you know there was a elvis in the 90s in particular i think got a lot of attention the grail marcus book dead elvis um that sort of charted the the posthumous career of Elvis and the sort of cultural role that he played in um, after his death, or the sort of image of the jumpsuited Elvis or whatever, the Elvis myth, um, which was you know a fascinating book and a fascinating topic, but um, I don't know. It seemed as though Elvis was you know to me less interesting musically um even if maybe in some ways more significant culturally that's debatable i think um and so i was sort of trying to make a, don't know i guess a a case for chuck berry on the basis of music not that he needs you know my ass to make a case for him um and i think that the two decades since i first wrote that sentence um have corrected things a fair amount that there's first of all i think been kind of a backlash against elvis and some of the you know um the the growing awareness i guess of of the dangers of cultural appropriation um which again you know people were aware of back then and there's that famous line in the public enemy song about elvis being a hero to some and not meaning shit to me you know i think chuck berry i mean partly um sad to say by dying maybe got his due at that moment as one as one does by expiring
2: Little record, I want my jockey to play. Roll over Beethoven, I gotta hear it again today. You know, my temperature rising, the jukebox blowing the fuse. My heart beating rhythm, and my soul keeps singing the blues. Roll over Beethoven, tell Sikorsky the news.
3: I got to rockin'. Yeah, but, but you know, I think for me, the. I mean, the things that, that make Chuck Berry sort of preeminent among the founding fathers of rock music is he kind of invented rock and roll guitar playing and made, elevated the guitar into um, a sort of lead solo instrument that it has remained ever since. I don't know, maybe it's waned somewhat now, or maybe a you know, rock itself as an idea probably has waned. Um, but also invented really rock and roll songwriting as well and sort of defined, I guess, both musically kind of what a rock song is, um, and also to some extent lyrically, you know, what the what the topics would be and <laughs> and um, I don't know, I guess a certain kind of attitude towards them. So that seems like a lot for for one person to have done and obviously there are you know I, the whole idea of like one person having invented a genre of music is a problem right even even Louis Armstrong didn't invent jazz I mean nobody says he invented jazz but um for me what's what's fascinating about 1950s music is just the variety of it until I did a a cassette project back in the 90s um where I tried to make it a tape of my favorite songs from each year of the 50s um just to kind of put them all together and kind of get a sense of like wow 1953 like there was a there was that was a really good year like you had howlin wolf and hank williams and big joe turner and mahalia jackson and like you know baby, young baby king and elmore james and so for me i guess looking at that decade i i like to sort of get them sort of musical ferment <laughs> i know we're here to talk about an individual artist an individual album but i just want to put in a plug for like the whole panoply of 1950s music because there's um there are riches there
2: oh they, yeah. i mean he,
1: they, he definitely exists in a moment you know we we could also take the time now that if we want to we could be talking about eddie cochran Right or or little Richard, who's you know, um, little Richard famously said, you know, if Elvis Presley is the king of rock, then I'm the queen, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think that's rightly so, and and he passed recently, so that conversation has been opened up once again about kind of dethroning Elvis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm with you. He he's not like the sole person responsible, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time, people like John Lennon say, you know, if you have to call rock and roll something else you could just call it chuck berry right and there is something about this one individual who is pretty exceptional among his contemporaries mm-hmm. and i think reading your essay a big part of that is in his songwriting in particular
2: just let me hear some of that rock and roll music in the old way Roll music if you wanna dance with me If you wanna dance with me. I have no kick against my jazz, Unless they try to play it too darn fast and change the beauty of the melody until it sounds just like a symphony. That's why I go for that roll.
0: Yeah,
3: I mean, that's a hard question in some ways because, you know, the country, what sort of what the country, I mean, mean, people acknowledge, I mean, and he himself, I guess there's this anecdote in his autobiography about, you know, people saying, you know, who's that black hillbilly playing at the Cosmo in in St. Louis? So even even before he was recording, um, you know, he was, I guess, consciously mixing styles or experimenting with you know this, again the same way Elvis was uh in in 1954 in in Memphis you know um doing r&b songs in a kind of more country style um it's it's a little harder to point to with Chuck Berry because he wasn't doing covers like Elvis was at at Sun um he wasn't you know, I mean, I Maybelline people say is kind of a rewrite of Bob of Ida Red, which I guess is an old folk song. And there's a Bob Wills and the te- you mentioned Western Swing, Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys version of it from 1938. And then a remake of it by them called Ida Red Does the Boogie or something. Mm-hmm. Um and you can kind of hear I guess and maybe I, I guess maybe Barry originally performed Maybelline with that under that name as Ida read and then rewrote it as Maybelline or something. But, you know, it's more like just kind of some, some kind of a feel like a kind of bounce or a kind of, um, spirit or something that's a little bit, um, more playful. Uh, I think it has something to do with his voice, with his, um, enunciation and his diction, you know, that he, mm-hmm. that, um, compared to someone like muddy waters or howlin wolf um he you know he sounds less black uh Mm. to put it bluntly I don't know if you guys have seen the new um film uh summer of soul
0: Mm -hmm.
3: documentary yeah so you remember the the interviews with the dimension where they're talking about kind of how they um took criticism for not being black enough and Mm -hmm. and one of them asks you know how do you color a sound like um and it's kind of a rhetorical question, but then it's also kind of true in a way that we do sort of identify voices as belonging to uh, one racial or racial or mute or sort of racialized musical style, mm-hmm. maybe, or as maybe seeming more country and less urban, um, and you know his his um, delivery you know, I guess was easily mistaken for that of a white person. I think there's, I believe there's stories of people being surprised when he showed up to perform, you know, that he was black. And
1: And that's another interesting parallel between like he and Elvis, you know, because people calling him like the black hillbilly people called Elvis the white N word. Yeah. So like there is like a parallel between these two guys that you can't really like skirt around right and the hillbilly cat too that was another name for elder I
3: think. you know marketing term. so yeah they were definitely they were crossing the same boundary from either sides yeah either side yeah. i bought
2: a brand new airmobile custom made it was a flighty deal with a powerful motor and some hideaway wings pushing on the button
1: So let, let's get into some, because you're talking about his, his use of language and you get into a lot of, in your essay, a lot of Chuck Berryisms. I guess you could call them. We've talked about <laughs> Dylanisms on here before. But he he likes to play with language in a way that we would probably ascribe more now to hip hop and how they play with language. Someone like Jay Z, um, so and and, I, and I, don't, I don't I don't think I know music well enough to know like is Eddie Cochran doing the same thing? Is Jerry Lee Lewis doing the same thing? Or is there something about Chuck Berry's wordplay um, that kind of sets him apart at this time? Yeah,
3: I think it's I think he's way beyond. Um most people you know i mean his uh i mean it's it's the the word word wordplay is part of it like he definitely has a kind of um appreciation for language and for the sounds of words he like he really likes the word vestibule he uses that a lot Mm -hmm. um yeah so i'm saying he's you know he has a kind of um almost tactile (laughs) it seems like feel for words or um um and and i mean some of some of it is malapropisms, right? Like when he refers to the Venus de Milo as Marlo Venus, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Marlo Venus was a beautiful lass. She had the world in the palm of her hands. I mean, it's a brilliant line about this armless statue. And then the next, you know, the, the rest of the couplet is she lost both their arms in a wrestling match to, to meet a brown-eyed, handsome man. Um, and speaking of just apropos of, of Elvis and the others, I don't know if you guys know the, the, so-called million dollar quartet recordings Mm -hmm. these recordings made in in sun studios of of elvis jerry lee lewis carl perkins and a little bit of johnny cash just kind of goofing around in the studio and and they do a little bit of brown-eyed handsome man and they're just cracking themselves up or they're they're chuck berry is cracking he's not there but they're like they're just um just marveling at these lyrics so i do think they're that other people appreciated at the time the brilliance, the creativity, the inventiveness, mm-hmm. um, the fecundity of, you know, they're just, his songs are stuff. Oh,
2: arrested on charges of unemployment, he was sitting in the witness stand. The judge's wife called up the district attorney. She said, free that brown-eyed man. If you want your job, you better free that brown-eyed man. Flying across the desert in the TWA, I saw a woman walk across the sand. She'd been walking 30 miles en route to Bombay to meet a brown-eyed, handsome man. Her destination was a brown-eyed, handsome man. Way back in history, 3,000 years. In fact, ever since the world began. There's been a whole lot of good women shedding tears. over a brown-eyed, handsome man. It's a lot of trouble with a brown-eyed, handsome
3: man. I was thinking about, I was listening, been listening to a lot Jack Berry in preparation. Um song like School Day, which is a basic, in some sense, 12-bar blues. And like the usual 12-bar blues, like a, you know would have an a line and then that line would be repeated and then it would rhyme with a a b line eventually and that would be the you know four bars each 12 bar blues and um school days musically it's a 12 bar blues but he um he just jams in like a couplet in each so it's like a a b b c c um and in between the and within each couplet, there's like a little guitar lick as well. It's like it's just um, there's a kind of I don't know. It's just um, explosion of words and sound in this in these very compressed you know tight spaces. It's like a great sonnet or something. Right,
1: um, it's like a sonnet, but also he's also doing the the call and response, but instead of his voice, and would would be like a gospel choir, or a congregation. Yeah. Is doing the blues tradition between his voice, the melody he's singing, and on the guitar. Yeah, that's so. There, there are a lot of musical. I mean, this, this is what we're talking about. We talk about rock and roll. You know, there, there is blues. There's this great literary component that probably doesn't get talked about as much because people are talking about things like him combining, the, you know, blues and country western mm-hmm. music, and talking about the American teenager.
2: Up in the morning and out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical math You study him hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Ring, ring goes the bell The are cooking the lunchroom's ready to sell You're lucky if you can find a seat if you have time to eat Back in the classroom Open your books Keep it the teacher Don't know how I mean she looks Soon as three o'clock rolls around You finally lay your burden down Close up your books Get out of your seat Down the halls And into the street Up to the corner And round the bend you the coin right into the slot you gotta hear
0: something that's really hot. With the one you love, romance. so I, I want to ask a question about that because so your background of course in in literature I think there's there's an appreciation that you have an in, inability I think to see so many similarities between where he goes but but I, the, the point you make is, 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 a, is a great point and in one, in one that is well made, which is that it seems that his move towards kind of teenage the, the teenager or the teenager as the kind of uh, protagonist of, uh, of his songs or the focus of his songs really seems to be driven by the market. It, for that music as much as it is kind of coming from within Chuck Berry and, and yet, because we know what we know about Chuck Berry, it is also one of those things that I think that, you know, there there's there's a push and pull with that, but you actually referenced the, the comparison to uh, Nabokov's Lolita as, as you, as you talked about this. And so how do you see this and how do you see that all kind of tying together into kind of the literary tradition of the kind of older man, maybe uncomfortably younger female? Mm
3: -hmm. Well, I was, I was thinking about the song Memphis, Tennessee, um, which is a a brilliant lyric and it's, and it's um, and also a very songs that that's in a, quite different musical style. Like it's not the sort of usual um, Johnny B. Good beat. It's like this, um, although again, I think it is kind of a a 12 bar blues now that I think of it. Anyhow, um, the song um, is about a a guy speaking to a telephone operator and trying to get in touch with Marie, whoever Marie is. And we assume for most of the song that it's his ex um, and that she's in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and then the twist in the very last verse or couple of lines is um, I can't remember I it. Was, Marie is only six years old. Information, please help me get in touch with her in Memphis, Tennessee. And sort of we suddenly realize, oh, Marie is his daughter. And uh, I think there's a line before that about um, you know her
1: her mom mother agree.
3: Yeah, her mom did not agree. Her mother tore us apart we, or we were torn apart because her mom did not agree and mm-hmm. broke apart our happy home in memphis tennessee so um it's a it's a very clever song for kind of leading you in one direction and then at the very end you know pulling the rug out from under you but as i was thinking about it i was like well okay like we assume he is the daughter of marie but like maybe Humbert get like Humbert Humbert and Lolita. She was his stepdaughter he was married to her mother Mm -hmm. but um you know preying on her in some way i mean that's that's a that's just to add one more sort of sick twist to a song that doesn't doesn't immediately ask for it except as you acknowledge rob you know chuck berry's own history um involves some um brushes with the law for sexual transgressions um he was arrested in 1959 kind of i mean sort of like ted williams at the peak of his career like um interrupted by this um criminal charge for transporting a an apache 14 year old cocktail waitress across state lines to work in his nightclub i guess is the that's his defense yes right that it was a professional engagement rather than yeah um and you know if you go in his in the the controversy page on his wikipedia page you know there are other sordid incidents including um a a lawsuit against him for for installing video cameras in the women's restroom at one of his clubs um but he and he went to prison you know he he fought it for for almost three years and then uh did a year and a half in prison he'd already been in in reformatory as a teenager for an armed robbery that he either did or didn't participate in. So, you know, you'd think, okay, he would be real cautious about the the little girl songs, but in some ways he's not. Like, he kind of leans into that, we might say Mm -hmm. now. Um, Sometimes in a, you know, explicitly leering way, like Little Queenie is maybe the most um, notorious one. She's Mm -hmm. too cute to be a minute over 17. Um, And if you know the the rolling stones cover version of that on their um first second live album from 1969 they they kind of you know they make the leering explicit I guess um with with Barry you almost feel like oh maybe he's he's kind of writing as a teenager but but no teenager would say that about another teenager right it's right that's something that an adult says They're really rockin'
2: in Boston And Pittsburgh, PA Deep in the heart of Texas And round the Frisco Bay All over St. Louis And down in New Orleans All the cats gonna dance with Sweet little 16 Sweet little 16 She just got to have About a half a million daughter autograph. her wallet filled with pictures, she gets them one by one, becomes so excited, watch her look at her run, boy, oh mommy, mommy, please may I go, it's such a sight to see, somebody steal the show.
3: at other times he he explicitly adopts a teenage persona like um uh, almost grown mm-hmm. you know one or, or school day that i mentioned already um oh baby dear doll dad. is another one hmm.
1: dear dad one of my oh yeah yeah it's not on the compilation it's not on the grade 28 but it, I, it's one of my favorite chuck Berry car songs and just uh-huh. kind of youth angst yeah. yeah and there but there are also ones like um Sweet Little 16,
3: which again sounds bad, but is actually um, is really a kind of detached portrait of a, a, a young music fan and sort of the the tension between right being a student and being a music fan yeah and that's something we've been like talking the, about ourselves
1: yeah and that's something like the ramones tap into eventually mm-hmm. with like judy mm-hmm. is a punk and all that kind right. of that stuff. So it's it's more akin to that than something yeah like and they're,
3: it's kind of love letters to their fans i guess or to the fans that they see maybe in a um in an innocent way um and again that that song is 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 not so much about you know yeah being in love with this 16 year old or desiring this little 16 year old that just sort of noticing the contradictions and the complications in her life.
1: Yeah. I see that way. I I do think of that song as more of like, Hey, there's, there's a new teenager around there. There's a new young woman around who is into rock and roll and all of those implications, which is jazz cigarettes, racial integration, her own sexuality, Mm -hmm. you know, like, because that's what people probably don't understand now is that when you say something like rock and roll, you, you're talking about, in, in the minds of people in this in this post-war era, you're talking about integration, you're talking about sex, you're talking about drugs. So when you look at a compilation where it's just like reeling and rocking, roll over Beethoven, you know rock and roll music, it's just like, wow, they started talking about rock and roll a lot. It's like, well, yeah, because rock and roll actually means... A number of different things mm-hmm. like it's making a number of different statements it's not just saying like we sure do like this type of music huh
3: yeah yeah i mean i think it it the phrase becomes tamed a little bit over time i mean that that you know when it's um like in earlier 50s r&b you know it seems more explicitly a euphemism for sex you know for, yeah um and maybe it's in you can't catch me like one of his earliest singles um you know he says radio tuned to rock and roll um so he's he's usually pretty clear that it's like a musical style or like a certain kind of dancing that accompanies that music um but obviously you know for the white cultural authorities that were seeing this stuff happening and yeah. were were anxious about it 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 as you said went along with all these yeah. other things juvenile delinquency yeah mm. this is
1: a time when rock around the clock is the opening song in blackboard jungle and teddy boys and rock and roll kids are literally tearing up movie theaters just cuz rock around the clock is playing i know <laughs> which just seems like just the tamest Song of all time, but they went nuts. Uh-huh. So just saying rock and roll, it just really it really does have these uh potentially dangerous and sexual connotations. There's this great letter you can find. Somebody wrote Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and said, like, should I be listening to rock and roll music? And his verdict was, uh probably not. Uh might be <laughs> maybe too much temptation there. Maybe uh-huh. not. So <laughs> I mean, That's that's for what it's worth.
3: and just to pick up on one thing you said that about sort of how to our ears this stuff sounds kind of harmless because you know like we've had the Ramones (laughs) since then or whatever you know we've had sort of different forms of musical aggression and danger and like boundary breaking and this for all of us you know is music from before we were born and um we weren't there to feel its its newness mm-hmm. um but it's interesting to try to i don't know to try to recover what was what was new about it or or what um what would have felt rebellious. threatening or yeah rebellious i mean one thing that that really interests me in in chuck berry's music is sort of the evolution of the of the beat behind him mm-hmm. like um you know he i mean he's usually playing that that steady like um rhythm that you know again this kind of like the chuck berry rhythm that like you learn to play and um so you can play chuck berry songs or or anybody's songs um but like the the drumming and and the piano playing as well behind him um are usually in the early songs are more kind of swinging and more, more in a kind of like dotted rhythm, like more like, um, well, like rock around the clock, you know, that, that beat. Right. Like it's not. Right. right, right. Um,
0: And. It feels almost like a stripped down big band song instead of feeling what, what his later music feels like
3: yeah yeah but you can kind of hear that coalescing you know and um like even i was listening to johnny be good again and again that like the opening of that is just incredibly powerful and and it feels like all right now we've arrived (laughs) but even even the drumming behind that is still kind of it's it still has a little bit of a swing to it maybe i mean maybe that's maybe that's the secret of it maybe that's what other People lost thereafter when, like, if you listen to the like, Beatles' Chuck Berry covers, like, they're very square. You know, they don't have any of that swing to them.
0: Elvis and Chuck, Chuck Berry are both, I mean, they they are, they are American. They're in the American tradition. And yet Chuck Berry for, for so much of his influence, the ways in which that he really becomes in, in my mind, the father of rock and roll is really so much of his influence on that first wave of that, 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 that first British wave, that, that British explosion, the, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, this, these these groups that kind of define what rock music will become in in the 60s and chuck berry is is the through line through all of those groups that that their love and appreciation for chuck berry and yet even with the rolling stones who who really have made an entire career out of trying to do kind of white covers of 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 quote unquote black music um, whether it's the Beatles and like we hear on their first two albums, them doing some covers of Chuck Berry songs. There is something that remains uniquely American about Chuck Berry that doesn't quite translate to the British artists who take him on. And so can, can you tell us a little bit about that both from, from a musical side and from a lyrical content side, what is it, that you see as uniquely American because you, you have kind of ranked Chuck Berry among the great American writers.
3: Yeah, I guess I would. I don't, I don't really have a canon of American writers, but, but I, um, you know, I think he's, I I think he's one of the great songwriters of the 20th century and, and um, yeah. And I think it's hard to, um, extricate him from america you know i mean mm-hmm. uh and i think that's that's also what drew him drew the english artists to him you know that they were excited to be getting this glimpse of america through these records that they were purchasing mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and then imitating um you know i think it's uh it's I mean, he's he's a number of his songs are almost sort of national anthems or or myths. Um back in the USA, obviously that's the you know, that's the most sort of patriotic or national in its outlook and kind of mm-hmm. celebrating all the things that are possible in the United States, you know, with without without acknowledging in any way sort of the limitations uh for African Americans, you know, which although people have sometimes sort of discerned that beneath the surface of that song, um, or another song about promised land, which is not on the grade 28 for some reason, but, um, but that's also a kind of, um, you know, Virginia to California narr- travel narrative, but also a, a kind of, um, myth about, or myth making about the nation. Um, obviously Johnny B. Good, you know, feels like a kind of, american uh dream story you know through you know making good through music and um yeah so and i was thinking of it again listening to a lot of his music over the weekend he he really likes happy endings you know Mm. like promised land ends with him like like starts with this disastrous bus trip and ends with him you know on a plane you know dining on steak as he's landing in Los Angeles like this is great this worked out really well why did like why did he take the bus in the first place um or uh I don't know you never can tell is another one again also strangely not on the great 28 but um about a teenage wedding and like it all works out really well and even the old people are like huh that's great you know oh, yeah say <laughs> loving um you know, the only one I was thinking no particular place to go, that's the only one where it's like he couldn't get the safety belt unbudged, you know, as he was trying to make out with his girl in the car. Um, So maybe there's a kind of American optimism or, you know, a kind of um, even in complaining songs like um, Too Much Monkey Business, you know, it's a kind of comic complaint that you know, and he's, and he's, he's rooted in the blues, right? He's, he's, um, but his, his blues don't seem to, I don't know, slow him down or hold him back or some way there's all this botheration as he calls it. That's one
1: of his coinages, I think. Yeah. That's a great Chuck Berryism. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's what separates, maybe that's what makes it rock and roll. You know, the blues are are down Uh, country, Western music, pretty, pretty down. Uh, but rock and roll music, yeah, you're right. There, There is a, an optimism about it that's coming from this, I guess, this new leisure class mm-hmm. in post-war, post-war America, I, I guess. No particular place to
2: go So we parked way out on the Kokomo The night was young and the moon was gold, So we both decided to take a stroll Can you imagine the way I felt? I could a safety belt Riding along in my blues. Still trying to get her belt to loose. All the way home I held a crush For the safety belt that wouldn't budge Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
1: But since, since we're, we're, unless you want to add on to that, I'll, but uh, if you want to, since we're just kind of just naming songs now, if you want, you can give us your top five favorite songs um, from The Great 28. I'd be interested to know All right. what your favorites are. The greatest
3: five <laughs> right. of The Great Twenty. Yeah. Um, well, you know, one that, that i have running through my head a lot of the time is you can't catch me it's a it's a really weird song it's a what a car song but mm-hmm. about a kind of car crossed with an airplane and um the the adventures he has in it speeding in it and flying with his girlfriend and getting home safely at the something. end yeah 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 and um let's get on home before we run out of gas is the <laughs> the line of the, the end of the last verse so that's a i don't know it's a, just a weird one and and johnny be good you know i think is is perfect <laughs> um and has to be in there um does
1: back to the future make it better or worse
3: or doesn't matter to me it doesn't matter i i, I haven't seen that film and i know that 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 grates on people that that moment of like the idea that chuck berry got it from marty mcfly rather than the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> um i don't know that i think that's a clever clever moment but for but i can see how it it might gall people in some ways as someone who's born in
1: 1990 it's hard not to listen to it and hold up a phone and be like it's your cousin marvin (laughs) Uh, very hard not to just slip into back to the future quotes after that one (laughs) But but my love for Back to the Future is probably why I listen to things like Chuck Berry, and it like works on me. It it hasn't aged a day.
2: Chuck, Chuck, it's Marvin, your cousin Marvin Berry. You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, I guess my last three, I would say, Roll Over Beethoven, which I think is just a a brilliant. uh, I mean, talk about uh, songs that that make use of the phrase "rock and roll." Where um, he where he sings, "I got the rock and pneumonia. I need a shot of rhythm and blues. I caught the rolling arthritis sitting down at a rhythm review." <laughs> it's, just, it's perfect. It's incredibly bizarre and inventive and playful and clever and all those things. Um, and and again, another one where the where you can kind of feel the sound. Of rock and roll kind of coalescing behind him mm-hmm. um nadine is a is a later a post prison one um which i love which has a little more of a souped up sound with some horns mm-hmm. um but but it's a great it's a great lyric of him as with maybelline chasing after a woman um and that's for i think um yeah. maybe brown-eyed handsome man um in i agree with Carl Perkins and Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis it's it's brilliant <laughs> um yeah I wouldn't want and to be you know one of the ones with those guys one of the ones that people point to as um having a kind of barely suppressed racial subtext right that it's mm-hmm. the brown eyed is really pretty close to brown skinned um yeah. and that maybe that's what he would be saying if he could and promised land too is another one where you know He's he's basically traveling through the segregated South in, um, you know, the early 60s. And um, he doesn't, you know, doesn't quite allude to it, but he but there's that line about riding cross Mississippi clean. It's like we're just going to skip over that state and just, um, you know, pass through it unscathed.
0: So let let me ask this question, because we talked about your your favorite favorite Chuck Berry songs on Great 28, as Makai and I have been going back and forth in the week leading up to this interview and preparing to record this episode, we keep going back and forth on the unbelievable omissions that they get. Like, considering Great 28 is, is, is 1982, there are songs of Chuck Berry's not included in it. And I, I don't understand why.
3: I mean, there have been a lot of compilations already. I mean, most of his, I think originally he was a singles artist, like most people of his generation. And then, you know, maybe by the mid-60s, people were like, no, you now we record albums, you know, and new songs that go on an album. Um, but there had been these, um, you know, the ones that I had when I was a kid were the golden decade um there were those were two album mm. sets i think they were released in the mid-60s um and and i had one that was i think reissued around american graffiti time when everything you know right. was was rediscovered um so maybe they were trying not to i don't know duplicate that or they were trying to be little bit eccentric or unexpected or something i don't know but yeah i obviously the i think i mentioned already the promised land and you never can tell um for me are really surprising omissions and those are both post prison songs so i thought i checked i was like oh maybe they just stopped at like you know when he went to prison but but there are some Mm -hmm. like nadine and and I want to be your driver, which I think is a terrible song. But, <laughs> yeah, there are but really, better ones.
1: that was from, that's on a uh, Chuck Berry in London. And there are plenty of better songs on that LP than yeah. that one.
3: You too is a favorite of mine that, that mm. um, let's throw a twilight cookout <laughs> as it begins. It's, it's a, it's a weird little kind of jazzier um, and somewhat more intimate song. That I, I just like that. <clears throat> So all the details is. about the cookout. You two roast weenies and we'll toast the buns and we'll chow till the night grows nine. Um, I think no money down is a, is a, mm. that's a very early one. Um, mm. Maybe a B side of you can't catch me or maybe, maybe even. Yeah. Um, which is again, sort of about haggling with a salesperson for a car um, and all the things that he wants in the car. Um and again, he gets it at the end, you know. Like, and he doesn't have to pay anything for it either—no money down. So, this is what a great country. Um, and then I think, you know, this is debatable, but I feel like my dingaling is important—the <laughs> um, uh, 11-minute version or the single version. <laughs> I'm willing to settle for the for the single edit, <laughs> yeah. um, but I I feel like the fact that that was his only number one hit on the you know hot 100 and and that it came in 1972 and it just so it it kind of exemplifies his sort of indifference towards his legacy or something i mean in some ways he 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 cared about his legacy and and cared for it in certain ways but he also you know as as many people have have written and as the the great film hail hail rock and roll the about the sort of that 60th birthday concert for him that that um Keith Richards and others sort of arranged Mm -hmm. and part of their idea was like this guy doesn't doesn't give a shit you know he doesn't he just perform. he doesn't have a backing band he just shows up with his guitar and the promoter hires musicians to play behind him and they don't rehearse and you know that he was kind of trashing his musical (laughs) legacy in some ways as a as a performer um and you know wouldn't it be great to sort of reunite him with his original pianist and put a real band behind him and give give him the sort of star treatment that he merits um but but i think there's something important about his defiance too and his Mm -hmm. like you know what I'm going to sing my ding and it's, and I'm going to get rich off it. Yeah. Um, and like, you guys can care about what I did back in 1957 if you want, but like, right. it doesn't matter to me that much unless I can make money off it.
2: When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bells hanging on a string. She told me it was my
0: What in your mind are are some of the great albums?
3: You know, my mind has been very much shaped by the criticism that I read as a kid. You know, the 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 guides to to rock music, the Rolling Stone Record Guide, um, the first version of that, and the um, and the Robert Gow, um consumer guide books of the seventies, and then also the eighties um and those sort of lists of what was great (laughs) what was considered great you know in the at that time um so my my tastes are in that way are kind of conventional i mean i think like you know bob dylan the beatles i mean the beatles i should do other way around right the beatles for me as a child you know i just that i discovered on my own or from my older brothers um bob dylan and then eventually the rolling stones aretha franklin i mentioned earlier and you know um, let's get
1: specific. so which, which oh, Beatles? because right. we we battled yeah. it up between sergeant pepper and revolver
3: uh-huh so i what, would say for me it's either abbey road or rubber soul because but that's those are just childhood those are very early listening experiences that mm-hmm. you know sort of nothing can match mm. um
0: as as an as an aretha franklin fan and someone who is who who is you know a a completist in terms of trying to gather all her records Mm. what is the aretha franklin album for you will you point to and say that's the one
3: well i mean this so the the first one i got was just the greatest hits which um that's pretty great but um her first atlantic album called i never loved a man the way i love you is just astonishing Mm -hmm. um and there's a later one called spirit in the dark um, from 1970 which is sort of more moody and um she was divorcing and um writing more of her own songs it's so it's a kind of um it's more of an oddball album but it's but it's it's pretty great from start to finish
0: well we can't thank you enough for doing this um uh, we, we want to be mindful of your time, but but Will, this means the world to us that you came in and, and did this and and talked to us about Chuck Berry and, and about this album in particular.
3: I want to say thank you to you guys because, um, this was a delight to be invited out of the blue. And when I when I looked at the, I have to say, I was kind of um intimidated when I saw that you had had Dr. Fink on <laughs> to talk about Purple Rain. I was like, Jesus, these guys are getting like actual musicians who played on these these albums to talk about them with them and like i'm just some guy who owns a few chuck berry cds and lps so um i'm honored to have been invited and um uh i look forward to to hearing where you're what you remember that you forgot in the, in the <laughs> years ahead
0: I'm so excited to tell you about our independent record store of the week. This week, we are talking about Portland, Oregon's Mississippi Records. Mississippi Records is both a label and a record retail shop in Portland, Oregon. And you can find them at 5202 North Albina Ave in Portland, Oregon 97217. They're open noon to 7 p.m. every day. They're a tiny shop in Portland, but full of some of the best records that you can find in the area. Blues, jazz, old rock, they've got everything that you're looking for. Consider picking up Chuck Berry's The Great 28 from Mississippi Records in Portland, Oregon. Micaiah let me start here I really appreciated that conversation and what I enjoyed about William Pritchard's list of his five favorite songs on the great 28 makes me feel better about mine and so we didn't share these with William but let's go ahead for our listeners Let's go ahead and dive in, you and I. What are your five favorite songs on The Great 28?
1: All righty. I've got my top five Chuck Berry songs and my top five on this album. So top five for this compilation. All right. Um, I'll go five to one for this one. And and these are, I I think these are ranked. I think this is how I feel about them. Because um, normally I do how just how they appear on records, but. Uh, number five, Brown-Eyed Handsome Man. Uh, we talked plenty about that um, in, our, in our talk with, with Will. Uh, so I don't think I have to say much, but I just think it's one of his most brilliant songs. Number four, I Have School Day. Um, there is just something great about it. I mean, I, I think it's some of his best guitar playing, actually. In that, record. I know it's just kind of like a silly, you know, the new youth in America, leisure class, post-war, baby boomer, hoo-ha thing um but there's some great guitar playing on there uh, that, that just really defines rock and roll music there that i love um number three for me no particular place to go which is um a later part of this compilation because it comes out in 64 um yeah something i i like to listen to when i was in school i mean it's It's comical. It's about being frustrated. It's basically just like a, it's a great driving song, but it's also like a makeout gone wrong, Uh, you know, for someone who's so suave and so cool, you know, he's struggling to seal the deal, I guess. Uh, So I just, I think it's funny. I think it's great. I like that song. Uh, And then my top two are two songs that I actually think are pretty much perfect songs for perfect recordings, really. Uh, so I have my number two is Maybelline, which I have a, a forty-five of, um, like from the era. Um, yeah, I think I think I think it's it is a perfect. I said earlier in the intro, just you know, historically, this is an important song. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fail to to put into words how much I like this song because for me, I mean, I I get the spirit of rock and roll. Like this hasn't aged on me. I hear Maybelline, and it's it's like hearing rock music that comes out today, um, which there admittedly isn't very much. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, it's something to me that it it doesn't, it doesn't feel old at all. It doesn't feel like it came out in 1955. It is something, something to me that is very much alive to me. And I probably, the most I probably ever listened to it was one um, in college in St. Augustine, Florida, which is an old city. Um, The oldest, as they like to say, and boast. Um, so li- listening to old music in an old town, like I, w- I, w- I would put Chuck Berry music on in my headphones and just walk around a bunch of old places. And it just felt very much alive to me. You know, it, it, did, it didn't feel old to me at all or dated at all. Um, so yeah. And, and then also when I lived in, in Mississippi, Nocturne, Mississippi, which is, you know, just South of Memphis, uh, which brings me to my, my number one pick Memphis, Tennessee, or Memphis, it's been listed as, as both titles. I think it's a perfect recording. Um, there, there are some things that the lyrics are ambiguous, right? So we don't we don't know if there's a Lolita situation happening here. But the way I always heard it, and I and I thought about it this way, up until reading what Will wrote about it on the RS five hundred, I thought it was about a young kid trying to reach like, another six-year-old. But hmm. what, what, what cued me is when he says, like, oh, like, my uncle took the message. Right? I was like, well, who else would be living with, like, his uncle except for, like, a kid? You know, I I don't know a lot of adults or older people who go and live with, like, hey, you're going to go live with your uncle. You know? And so for, like, a mom to, to, to tear apart the head, you know, as I, I, I always thought of it more as this kind of really youthful, really like potentially innocent song and, and, and not agreeing in the splitting apart. I would just assume to be, uh, to have racial connotations um being that the song was Memphis, Tennessee being in hmm. the South. So I, I thought of it as um two, two young kids five and you know, about six years old, Marie is six years old in the song the song comes out in 1955, 1956 around Brown versus the board of education come that that happens in 1955 is the Brown decision. And so I thought that this was about young kids who were learning about race. You know, like, no, you're not allowed to, you know, be with someone who is of a different race. So that's how always how I, I kind of thought of it. And I thought that the, the first verse is the bet one of the best first verses in the history of music. Um, So yeah, so that and in the way that it's recorded, also since I did mention that it's a perfect recording specifically, is that it's not a big studio song, and the you hear that in the quality of it, and it is a B-side. It was recorded in Chuck Berry's office, like on a personal recorder. He did the guitar, he did the bass, and whatever percussion is there, he did himself. I guess tapping on, slapping on whatever he had in his office, maybe even just his own lap. And so there, there's a there's something in there that's very you want to say experimental, uh, but I mean now experimental music means something else, but he is experimenting with something here and rock and roll music is very experimental. And this gets to that experimental part of what early rock and roll is of mixing uh, blues and, and country and Western music. And, but here he's also experimenting with, with recording and what you can do recording. And this is just a, just a exceptional, piece of recording music to me I, I love the sound of this recording um i, I mean now you call it like lo-fi indie rock or something but it's chuck berry in 1955 1956 you know um yeah so it's uh, it's perfect for me
2: long distance information give me memphis tennessee help me find the party trying to get in touch with you. My uncle took the message and he wrote it on the wall. Help me information, get in touch with my Marie. She's the only one who'd phone me here from Memphis, Tennessee. Her home is on the south side, high up on a ridge, just a
0: It's interesting the way you talk about the recording of Memphis, Tennessee, and it is the, the, the way that we think of the, how that song is recorded now and the way it sounds, it very much reminds us of uh, the first Bonnie Iver album for forever, forever ago. I mean, that, yeah. that idea of like, Hey, like in, in the snow cabin in the middle of the, you know, Wisconsin forest, Right. Like,
1: or, or, or like the basement tapes. Yeah. You know, or, um, like the Elliot Smith kind of four track recorder mm-hmm. stuff, you know, like the, the really raw bare bones, you know, just, it, it, it's, it's a very emotional track. Um, it's very pulled back. It's not very big, you know, um, but it, it, it gets, gets me right in the heart.
0: Um, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do what you typically do and just do how they appear on the albums. Um, I'm going to start off with Maybelline and and I'm with you. I think just such a great and an important song. 1955. This was uh, the, the second single that he released for chess records. And it is now a song that is 65 66 years old and i mean it sounds as good now as it did then moving on to side two i'm gonna go johnny be good and come on this is just song everyone knows johnny be good um and and everyone knows this song er everyone knew this song before back to the future if you were born if you (laughs) Uh, but but if if you're a lot li- if if you're if you're a part of my generation or Makai's generation, Back to the Future may be your entry point to Chuck Berry, and because of that, Johnny Be Good may very well be your entry point to him. Mm-hmm. Moving on to side three. Oh, I'm with you, Memphis, Tennessee. What a yeah. great song! What a great song! And by the way, the only the only B-side on the entire album the only of the six b-sides that are included this is the only b-side of the entire album i would keep oh i disagree with you on that one my final two are both from side four the song come on Mm. and no particular place to go come on is great
2: baby parted, all day long I'm walking cause I couldn't get my car started Lead off from my job and I can't afford to check it, I wish somebody'd come along and run into it and wreck it come on since my baby parted, come, come on, on. Check I wish somebody'd come along and run into it and wreck it everything is wrong since I've been without you every night I lay awake thinking about you every time the phone rings sounds like thunder. some stupid jerk trying to reach another number come on since I've been without you come on steady thinking about you come on phone
0: like great song. Considering grade 20, 28 is the 10 years of recording he did with chess records. So basically 1955 to 1965 for the, for the sake of this conversation, let's keep it as glaring omission. So if it wasn't, if it wasn't something he recorded in that 10 year span, yeah.
1: we're
0: not, we're not considering that an omission because it just wasn't, it wouldn't have, have met the criteria. Right.
1: So my so, tambourine slash my dingling,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know it's the only only song that he ever had that went to number one. It's we're, we're not including it.
1: I kind of like my tambourine more than my dingling. I, uh, I guess for obvious reasons, but yeah. So glaring omissions. Well, I think we both have the same number one.
0: Yeah. Um, so it, let, let's talk about kind of the. So let let's let's talk about what it's famous from. If you are. Myself or Micaiah, if you are someone in your 30s or 40s or 50s, this song, the number one with a bullet glaring omission for both Micaiah and I, is a song made famous by its inclusion in the movie Pulp Fiction.
1: That's right. So uh, Vince Vega and Mia Wallace and the twist competition at Jack Rabbit Slims Right. They, they danced to Chuck Berry's You Never Can Tell. Great song. It's a great song. And it came out in 1964. Um, it was a, a single. I have the single. Uh, I have the 45, the original. And I mean, it's just, it is Chuck Berry at his absolute best. I know mm-hmm. if we were doing top five Chuck Berry songs, this is number two. It's Memphis, Tennessee, then this, and then Maybelline. And the three, are really actually tied, if I'm being honest. But I mean, this is this is what he does best. I mean, he is is a young love, It's a young romance. Uh, the guitars are great, the piano is great, the drums are great. His, his language is great. He calls the the fridge a coolerator. You know, there's a great Chuck Berryisms in there. Um, playing with uh, language outside of England, you're saying saying things like "say la vie," say the old folks. You know that that's just Mm -hmm. masterful masterful wordplay there you know i i think it's yeah that it is shocking that's not on the great 28 and of course um on every compilation after 1994
0: after pulp fiction came out um no one's made that mistake so a a couple others Mm -hmm. um in thinking in in thinking specifically about his singles so again, thinking thinking about the idea that The Great 28 is a collection of singles and B-sides. Uh-huh. The 1964 single, You Never Can Tell, that's the obvious mess. No, I mean, number one, how, how do you not have that on there? But I want to go back to December of 1958. Here we go. Merry Christmas Baby and Run Rudolph Run, arguably two of the most Famous and most beloved Christmas songs of all time. Absolutely. Not not included. Now, again, including Christmas songs in with the compilation, I I can understand, I can understand leaving those off.
1: And I don't think that he wrote those either. I think the 28 are specifically ones that he wrote.
0: Yeah. So So, I mean that's that's fair. That's fair. But I mean, run Rudolph Run, I mean,
1: that's Everyone knows the song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's probably it probably gets played the most of any Chuck Berry song now, because um, I don't know that there's a lot of oldie stations around. But every December, well, I guess November now, there's there's always a Christmas station, and it's gonna play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's probably the one that has the the most longevity these days, in here in the 2020s. Yeah.
0: You know. Um my my other glaring omission. Non non Christmas song would be the nineteen sixty single I got to find my baby. It's a good one. I, I I don't know why it's not on this.
1: It's not it, on my grade twenty eight, but it is a good one. I, I agree with you.
0: Um, of course, Promised Land nineteen sixty four last mm-hmm. single that he releases in nineteen sixty four. I think Promised Land is 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 an omission. Um, really, other than that, no money down might be the only other one that I think among his singles that were released in chess yeah. records to not be included in the great 28 those, but I mean, but that's, that's, you know, five songs we've named right there.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if I, if I were making my great 28, I, I would keep 20 of them and mm-hmm. I have eight swaps I would make. All right. I I would want to keep Wee Wee hours, the, okay. the, the B side to Maybelline. Agreed. Because that 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 what makes that 45 such a great rock document is that it has the blues and it has the country and they're both Chuck Berry and that's what makes Chuck Berry rock and roll. So on that 45 you get both sides of like what rock and roll is going to be it's going to be part blues it's going to be part country and Chuck Berry is in the center of that and and Mm. spearheading it, you know, so that's why I want both represented there. Um. A song that's on his second album, One Dozen Berries, uh, La Wanda, parentheses, Espanol. Um, just like how I love Havana Moon. I love this song more. Um, it's something suave. But I also love things like Down in Mexico, uh, like by the coast Coasters. Um, you know, so like this kind of like fascination with like Latin culture that happens in this like R&B and rock and roll era at this time. Um, create some really great sounding records, and La Wanda, Espanol is is one of them. I think it's I think it's very fun, very sexy. Um, but it is one of those ones that, as I say that, I'm gonna have to look back at the lyrics and make sure La Wanda isn't 13. And of course, in my eight, I also have "Merry Christmas, Baby" and "Run Rudolph Run," Run Rudolph Run. Um, similar to "Come On," I have the track called "Go Go Go," mm-hmm. um, which is recorded very similar to to "Come On." which is why it's on there. Um, and it also expands the, the Chuck Berry verse, um, like the the multiverse of Chuck Berry. All of his kind of, you know, Johnny B. Good kind of shows up. Maybelline shows up. He talks, he like, you know, he just kind of rapid fire ties in the Chuck Berry rock and roll music verse, you know, kind of in that one song in, in kind of a cool way. But it appears on a album that's kind of silly it's like chuck berry on stage and they dubbed some applause to make it sound like a live album so at that point what you would have been releasing was probably a version that had dubbed applause but they've since like re-released it without all those applause overdubs and actually makes for a really great album yeah um of course you never can tell on my eight little marie little marie like um Bye bye, Johnny it is a sequel track, it is a sequel to Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I just, I mean, I do think it's just a solid song. I mean, one reason I like it automatically without even like listening to it, I could just have it on. I'll be like, I like this one. Oh, it's Little Marie. Oh, because it's basically uh, Memphis, Tennessee, but like with a full band and catching us up on what's happening. And narratively, I think it fills in some gaps. Um, so that's one reason I also can't, I can't love it because I like my read on Memphis, Tennessee more than what's happening on Little Marie. Um, And instead of I Want to Be Your Driver, something that's also on Chuck Berry in London, I would have Dear Dad, which is a great Chuck Berry song from that era. It's got cars. It's got angst. I think is it, it's funny. Isn't
0: it Dear Dad from San Francisco Dews?
1: Yep. Track 10, side two. Okay. And Chuck Berry, London, 1965, Dear Dad. He, pr- he could have released it a second time. That's not uncommon. No uncommon. Um, maybe re-recorded it or just wanted to give it another chance. Um, yeah, so so, Dear Dad is is one that I just think it's funny. Like, with Cars whizzing by me, Dad look like I'm back in. A, well, 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 you know, it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's it's fun. It's, it's got a great energy to it. That's another one. like, this hasn't aged like this feels there's an intensity here that i get why kids went ballistic when they heard this because i i I still feel that energy uh listening to that track so i would have those eight um by saying that if you for those listening you can kind of figure out which eight i would cut uh so we don't have to get into that but those those are the swaps i would make we can play that we can we can share that playlist if we want
0: Yeah, we'll put we'll put that playlist together for our listeners. uh, If you're not following us on Spotify, uh, we do have a profile on Spotify. You forgot one podcast and you can follow uh, all of the playlists that we have been trying to put together for uh, various episodes that we've done. You're also going to get to see our season, our end of season uh, playlist there and so micaiah is going to do an end of season playlist of our 25 one song each from our 25 albums. I'm going to do the same in our in, in our season one recap episode our friends at Super Awesome Mixtape are going to join us to share the mixtape they've done based on the 25 tracks 25 albums that we've selected this season and so I'm excited for you to hear that as well. So micaiah, mm-hmm. it's it's an obvious For both of us. Yeah. Chuck Berry's Great 28 is going on our list.
1: Yeah, so this this is a no-brainer, right? When it comes to the early rock and roll guys, of course, Chuck Berry showed up first. I guess we should just leave everyone um, with an oldie. Well, well, it's it's an oldie where I come from.
0: Listener, we'll see you next week. Enjoy, You Never Can Tell.
1: It was a teenage.
2: you never can tell. They had a high five phone, oh boy, did they let it blast? Seven hundred little records, all rock, rhythm, and jazz. But when the sun went down, the rapid tempo of the music fell. Say La V C the old folks, you go to show you never can tell. They bought a soup dump.